So here you are, Tuesday morning, with, I guess, a bunch of things to do at the beginning of your week, and uh, you decide that you want some clarity in regards to the Bible, and for some odd reason, you decided to tune in to Bible Beacon Broadcast with me, Pastor Mike, and I want to share with you, before we get into our introduction this morning, let us start with a reading of Scripture in John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verse 6. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light, so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light, which was coming into the world, enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. And the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him to them, he gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of the blood of, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Thank you for taking time to tune into the broadcast this morning. And I pray that that light will shine into your life this morning as we continue to expound upon Scripture, continue to see the truth within Scripture, and preach the gospel to the nations, here on Bible Beacon Broadcast. Enemy is me, and even I can't stop it. 
They try to shut us down and it ain't gon' slide Only thing I fear is God and he on the side That's the confidence that's God cause he got me That's why I really feel like you can't stop me December 9th, 2014. I am your host for the next 45 minutes or so, Pastor Michael Miano, and I thank you for taking some time to tune into the show this morning. Now, as I opened up and I read to you John chapter 1, and you listen to this hip-hop song, if indeed you actually spent time listening to it, you, you would notice the theme of you cannot stop me. Now, what I'm going to tell you is this. As a child of the light. According to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, children of the light are called to walk in the light, called to walk in clarity in regards to the things of God, whereas those that are in darkness would be caught by surprise in regards to God's judgment or God's glory or God's work in this world. That light, they would not comprehend that light. They would not want to go near that light. They actually would hate the light. So the goal of a children of or a child of the light, as I am so called, you know, I am one in Christ with the church. Um, I have come into the light, and therefore, with Christ residing in his church, in his believers, we now shine that light out to the world. And what I believe that's doing is exactly what Ephesians chapter 3 speaks of, that the church, when all the administration that God had uh, set up, this whole will that he created, when all of it had come to its fullness in the redemptive history, finalized in AD 70 with the Roman Jewish War, when all of this came to uh, fruition, what this did was it gave the church an amazing power. And it gave the church a power that would push it forward into the darkness and shine light in regards to the things of God. That is what God has been doing since the beginning of the Bible, bringing his covenant, his grace, his love to the people. So that's what we're going to talk about here this morning. And again, I'm Pastor Michael Miano, and I want to backtrack because I know last week I wasn't able to jump on the show, and uh, the week prior I had Paul Rakowitz join me on the show, and we, we had spoke about atonement. Now, I'm looking to continue speaking about atonement since uh, that was the first question at my debate uh, in 2000, uh, January 2014 with Pastor Bruce Bennett. And the first question he threw at me uh, in, in regards to you know us kind of challenging each other, was what is atonement? And he wanted me to biblically explain my view of atonement. Now, when I did or when I endeavored to, he automatically disagreed because of this, you know, putting it at the cross and not necessarily understanding what part of atonement goes over to AD 70. Now, 
there are preterists that agree with that position. Um, as Paul Rakowitz explained, his his being a little different than how Bruce Bennett might interpret the texts of uh, Hebrews chapters 8 and 9. However, I want to continue talking about this. Uh, what I'm looking to do within the next coming weeks is possibly have uh, some audio clips from Don Preston, or uh, if I could get some other brothers and sisters to come on the show live, and we could continue the conversation about atonement. I spoke to a brother this week, a brother in the faith this week, about how uh, how I believe that the necessity of application, that it's so much more important for the church to understand what something means over having all the details kind of figured out. Let me let me uh, explain that, for example. Um, one of the examples I had given was when we read Revelation chapters 21 and 22, and we read about this imagery of uh, the new Jerusalem coming down out of the sky, the new heavens and new earth being prepared, and uh, there being no more curse, and there's this river of life flowing from the throne of God. And, you know, we read of all this imagery. Now, the the church taking, uh, I guess, its um, advice or, or its counsel from the philosophers um, now has has given into this question everything mentality, which is an amazing thing. Actually, first of all, let me f- correct myself here. The the biblical way is to question everything. But what we what we got from the philosophers is simply asking questions. That is not the Hebraic way. The 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 um, Hebraic disciple of a rabbi would follow the rabbi, and he would desire to learn everything the the rabbi knew, um, live exactly the way the rabbi lived, and so much that there's been series developed where the the disciple would endeavor to be covered in the dust of the rabbi. And what that would mean is that they would follow so close to the rabbi that the, t- the dust of their feet would kick up upon them, and they would be covered in their dust. That's what we, as disciples of Christ, are endeavoring to do, be covered in the dust of the rabbi. So in doing so, and I believe that the best way we do that is by understanding Scripture, growing in the grace and knowledge of God through what we know is inspired truth. So as we endeavor to do that, we should be... Uh, Reading stuff like the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God and the, the creation of the new heavens and new earth, and not only arguing about what the imagery is, which we're very good at. You know, what does this mean? What is this? And we have all these lively debates in person, on video, uh, on Facebook, you know, uh, so on and so forth. And we, um, you know, we don't necessarily say, well, what was the purpose of John teaching that? You know, and I, I bring it out like this. So in Revelation 21, we read about the new Jerusalem coming down out of the sky. So I could take you to Galatians chapter 4, and I can show you that the new Jerusalem is the new covenant. You know, it's an allegory. It's a, it's a, a metaphor for the new covenant. And, I, you know, we could follow that flow even through the Old Testament in the creation of Zion and what God was going to do through his redemptive promises for Jerusalem and for the people of God, the children of God. So we could argue about it all day. But as I said to this brother in the faith this week, I just – I'm coming to a point where I don't believe a lot of the stuff that Jesus said, a lot of the stuff the apostles said, even the plan of God followed through the whole scheme of Scripture. I just don't believe that the intention was to give us stuff to argue about in 2014. <laughs> Amen? The, what we're uh, supposed to be developing is a reality that we're bringing forth in the world. And I'm going to – that's what I, I believe that sets the tone for the show today, and I, I believe exa- that's exactly what atonement is. Atonement would be that, that uh, clearing, that cleaning of the image of God, which we were so called. And I'll explain that 
as we continue here. But I want to take you through a quick study this morning and uh, you know, look into some of the things about Scripture, look into some things about atonement, and then share a lot of kind of how I've grown in the grace and knowledge of God. However, let's uh, look, at, look, at, look at this topic of atonement here for a moment. If I could just find my uh, paperwork, I'll be able to do much better. I apologize for the delay, just looking for a quick link. Who thought of doing a morning show? You know, I'm not a morning person. <laughs> it's uh, funny, I think about this, and uh, I was thinking about this this morning, and I was thinking about it just now. <laughs> so here we go. What, what does atonement mean? I found this great link, and I wanted to share some of the stuff I was reading from it with you. It's uh, the Hebrew verb to atone, kafar, means cover. So the noun atonement, kippurim, is a form of covering. And uh, I have to say, uh, first, real quickly, right there alone, actually, I just want to continue reading. In uh, Leviticus chapter 5, verse 18, and the priest shall make a covering, atonement, for him on account of his ignorance. And this is atone, This is what atonement means. It's just a way of translating the Hebrew idea of covering sins as an idiom for forgiving sins. Although the idea of cover can be used in covering, appeasing anger. A king's wrath is a message of death. death. A wise man will appease it, will make atonement for it, will cover it and you know it's like covering someone's debt or uh, something of that matter and um the question is is how you know we talk about in the redemptive events was it the cross was it AD 70 um is it something ongoing in man ongoing sanctification ongoing is there an atonement that man is still seeking after a biological death in this world um which common to futurism is that at the second coming of Jesus that will be the full atonement where man's body will be ransomed from the grave and uh seems to be much confusion in regards to the redemptive events, but there's also a lot of confusion in regards to what that means to us today. And really, you know, I don't want to go too far into this, but really what's just been a big deal to me is ever since in October here at Blue Point Bible Church, we went over the topic of hell. I just, uh, I've been so absorbed in looking at the reality of the, the kingdom of God in contrast to the world. And just really looking at it through a personal lens, because again, I, I believe that's the point. I believe that we're not supposed to be arguing about where atonement took place and all that stuff. What we're supposed to be doing is relishing the fact that we've been atoned for and what that reality means. What does it mean for us to be covered? Now, I believe that goes all the way back to Genesis where you see Adam and Eve, They, uh, you know, when they sin, they find themselves naked. You see the Apostle Paul also says this in his epistles that they do not want to be found naked. I believe that's 2 Corinthians – in between 2 Corinthians 3 and 5. And uh, you know, they do not – I do not want to be found naked. Paul, the Apostle Paul says, and um, you know, this is speaking about being outside of covenant. That you know, imagine if Jesus is the truth, and you're a uh, Pharisee or you're you know a, a Judaizer holding to that old covenant. When God's judgment comes, that atonement comes in full. You know, as the Day of Atonement in the Book of Levit Leviticus, when the atonement comes in full. You will not be covered. You will not have been paid for, or you will not have been, uh, you know, appeased. That, that that God will not have been appeased. That God requires a covering. Now, Adam and Eve, if you remember, they were naked and they they had shame, and then uh, they decided to cover themselves. And that's, I believe, that's an amazing story of uh, the self righteousness of mankind. Man deciding his own ways to seek God. Man deciding his own ways to appease God, and. Um, 
which is always an error, will always lead you to confusion. I believe that's a part of the total deprivation of mankind, um, something we've been drawing out in our – well, I've been drawing out in my studies about Calvinism, and I've been looking to draw out here at Blue Point Bible Church. I began speaking about that this Sunday. There's a podcast. You can visit our uh, podcast simply by Googling Blue Point Bible Church podcast, and you can listen to our first uh, installment of Calvinism for Christmas. So atonement is to appease, to make ra- – to ransom. You know, it's like appeasing a king's wrath. A king's wrath is a messenger of death. A wise man will appease it. He will seek to appease the king's wrath. He will seek to cover the king's wrath. No longer have him mad at him. And, you know, we see in the beginning of of Genesis that Adam and Eve are then given clothing from God. And that clothing required a sacrifice of blood because... He covered them with animal skins. And, and many people point back to that as the first covering of mankind and how that was God creating a covenant with man and an agreement with man and how he would call man to himself. And you know, I believe a lot of that, that, which that has everything to do with what the old covenant was. It was a temporary covering to lead men to Christ where the full expression, Christ would be our full covering, that we would put on Christ. And we see in Isaiah how this imagery of the righteousness of Christ is compared to a robe. And then we see in, Revel, um, in the book of Matthew or through the, the Gospels, we see Jesus give a parable of the wedding banquet that those that come into the wedding banquet that do not have the wedding clothes are cast out into um, anger and gnashing of teeth. They are judged. They were the ones that were invited, but they did not have wedding clothes. And then you see in Revelation chapter 22 that those that have the right to enter in and out of the kingdom of God, in and out of this new Jerusalem, this city of God, are those that are covered by the robes. I, you know, this is not, again, a um, coincidence. You know, we don't we don't have coincidences in our reading of Scripture. So, you know, this is all about God bringing us to himself, God creating a plan that includes us when God could have very simply said, I created the world in in all its beauty and all its splendor, and that's enough. The fact that you're alive is an attribution of my grace. The fact that you woke up this morning is an attribution of my grace. Do you believe that? I firmly believe that. I ask you to join me in prayer this morning as we continue to elevate God, elevate Christ, worship him and praise him, and continue to do so in spirit and in truth. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for such an amazing blessing that we have in you. We thank you for the fact that we woke up this morning, Lord. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for your spirit that illuminates your truth within our hearts and minds, Lord, and and brings us to you because we know that if it was something in and of ourselves, we would never make it, Lord. We would never be able to appease your wrath because we devise all kinds of crazy lies that will bring up our own righteousness, Lord, that will elevate us instead of you. Lord, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your wisdom, your spirit. I give you all the glory in through your son, Jesus Christ. So, again, we're we're speaking about this this clothing, this covering, and I believe that this even goes all the way back to Genesis because when you understand Genesis through a ancient Near Eastern context, something I'm uh, actually working on a blog I'll be uh, posting later on today. Hopefully you'll take time to uh, check it out. It's a must-read, definitely a must-read, if I must say, and uh, seem to push my own writings a little too far. I apologize. However... I will boast in the wisdom of God. I will boast in what I learned through his spirit. So please take some time to uh, check that out a little later today. Now, one of the things I've been de- understanding and developing as I you know, read through so many amazing bloggers, even John Walton has brought so much out, a, a woman named Rebecca Giffone, um, Rachel Evans. You know, These are a lot of uh, just different camps too, just totally different crowds. 
And then you have Jeff Vaughn and Tim Martin, Beyond Creation Science, and a lot of things, uh, co this covenant creation view, all these people that have brought out these amazing truths from the, you know, the context of Genesis. I'm actually going to be drawing out what it means to read the context. I believe people think that sometimes it means surrounding verses. That's not what context is. I'll be developing that in that blog as well. So I, again, I hope you take the time. But one of the things I'm going to be talking about is the image of God. And I, I firmly believe that the image of God was, you know, kind of like what they were doing in that ancient Mesopotamian um, culture, that area, was they would create these idols, and these idols would be the would be the exact express image of their god. It wasn't an icon to point you to their god. It was actually a representation of their god. And, you know, that's why their idols were so important, and that's why they would, you know, ritually clean them, and they would sit them, and they would elevate them up on uh, what we would know as strongholds. And they would, would put them up, and they would praise them, of them and you know these would uh ultimately lead them to exalting in themselves it was a god in their own image what they designed god to be so what we see in scripture is that this god that the true god elohim he creates man in his image but he also you know goes on further to uh we read in exodus chapter 20 about the, the um forbidden laws of um developing images of God, of anything on earth that would even seem to be representing God or things that are beyond our human mind. This uh, past Sunday in our Sunday school, we've been talking about um, the the Second Council of Nicaea, and one of the things that happened during that council was uh, the, the, the iconoclast, the breaking of images, and so forth. And we've been talking about what we think of icons and images in the church. And John Calvin draws out that you know, images are not necessarily bad, that if they're things that we could see with the common eye, you know, we know what a bird looks like, so we can make a picture of a bird. We know what, you know, a house looks like, so we could draw pictures of the house. We can make beautiful pictures that elevate God's creation and ultimately push us to praise him. However, when we begin to go into the areas that there's confusion, that we don't necessarily know with the common eye, and we begin to try to paint pictures of the spiritual world or of God or of angels, we begin then to endeavor upon things that we were never called to do. And we begin to again, show the, the truth of a depraved mind that we will always result to our own ways. So what we're seeing in Christ, what we're seeing through the God, the true God, Elohim, is that he's creating man in his image, and he wants no images, that he's elevating man above how the ancient Mesopotamian cults, they would elevate you know, things and creatures, as we read in Romans chapter 1, that, that man in, in sin, man in darkness and being blinded by God, is prone to do that, create, you know, the, put the creation above the creator. And that's, uh, that's what was happening in that ancient Near Eastern context. So the image of God uh, was this, you know, what was on man. Now when man fell in the garden... That was symbolized just like a, an, if an idol or an icon would fall, it would have to be ritually cleansed and purified, atoned for. And this is exactly what we believe Christ has done for us, that when we put on Christ, we are now ritually cleansed, that we are now reinstated into the, the true purpose for which we were called to live, the image of God, to be God's image, to shine his light into the world. So... I hope you're following me because that's that's an amazing truth, you know. And, and and this is not something I want you to say. Wow, that's great that he knows that. This is something I want you to say. That's great that he lives that. Amen. And I believe that's what we need to be applying in our lives as we endeavor to understand Scripture. Because with the amount of wisdom that's being given to the church right now, I cannot stop and think about the amount of responsibility we are called to have. You know, it's not enough that we make it known in word. It's a, we need to make it known in deed. Show me your faith by your works. Don't show me – I mean you should be able to explain it, but don't show me your faith by your arguments and words. 
Show me your faith by your works. And and that's something that's uh you know important to me. Simply simply put, Jesus Christ did not complete atonement for my sake to simply know how and when it was accomplished and to be able to discuss and debate it. I believe that's all great and necessary. I cannot help but think that a lot of the things that are being discussed are actually supposed to push us to a heavenly reality. A reality we are called to live in in this world. For example, in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 6, we read that the church, that the Ephesians were seated in heavenly places. Now, I've been known to, uh, you know, debate that and say, well, look, they were seated in heavenly places. They were seated in the heavens. They were raised up into the glory of God. I don't believe they were, you know, removed from the planet Earth and brought into another location. I believe that they were still here on Earth, but they were raised up into another realm. That I again, I was explaining this to a brother in the faith this week. I don't believe heaven to be up. I believe heaven to be over. You see another realm in this world, and that's where uh, we should be looking at. How do we get into that spiritual realm, and are you broken down and depraved and in darkness, or are you in the light, raised up in glory? That's the truth of Scripture. That's what Scripture is endeavoring to develop for us, is the heavenly reality that we have in Christ. So I did some research on uh, Ephesians 2.6. I wanted to see what some commentators might say about this passage. And I'll share with you uh, what the pulpit commentary says on this verse. It says, and has raised us up with him. And they refer us to Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, which says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. I guess that's the reality of being raised up that they're seeking to bring forth here. So that we no longer walk according to the course of this world, but according to the life of Christ. We walk in newness of life and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. As God placed Jesus at his right hand in heaven, so also he placed his people with him in heavenly places. Places where the privilege of heaven are dispensed, where the air of heaven is breathed, where the fellowship of the enjoyment of heaven are known, where the elevation of the spirit is experienced as if heaven was real. Here it says heaven were begun. Let me develop that. Now, I believe that what, what Ephesians is developing is that the transition of the already not yet. That yes, the believers were being seated in heavenly places just as Jesus was seated at the right hand of God. However, the full reality would come in AD 70 when God would dwell within his people. Not only were they positionally in a place of power, but now God was being seen through them. Now they were fully atoned for and they were intending to you know, show God to the world, to be that image of God in the world. So I believe that Ephesians, yes, they were being seated. They were being positionally put in a place of power in the right hand of God, the glory of God. However, what it was looking forward to was the redemptive events of AD 70 that would bring the fullness where God would come to dwell in and through his people. So I, ha I agree, though. I think it's beautiful. They said that you know places where pro to be raised up is to be placed where the privileges of heaven are dispensed, where the air of heaven is breathed. The fellowship and enjoyment of heaven are known. We live like that? Is that what's being seen through a full reality of God? Because that's what I want to do. I want to shine that truth. The repetition of in Christ Jesus in Ephesians chapter 1 in connection to this emphasizes the fact that this gracious act is proceeding from God toward us in immediate connection to the work and person of Jesus Christ. It is being one with Christ, being in Christ, that we are raised up positionally in a power of glory with God.
catch the power of that. That is so amazing. And then you wonder why I start this, this program in the morning with a, a hip-hop song, you know, to kind of start the day fast. You wonder why I would start with that, and it says, you cannot stop me. If I'm raised up positionally in a place of power that Christ says that you will have tribulation in the world, but fear not, I have overcome the world. That I have put you in a position of power far above this world. You are my image in the world. Shine my glory. Sometimes we settle for arguing about the Bible. Jeez. <laughs> sure enough, Gill's exposition of the entire Bible has this to say about Ephesians 2.6. And has raised us up together. Which refers either to a spiritual resurrection, to the resurrection from death and sin, to a spiritual life, which is the effect of the almighty power and the rich grace and mercy in which Christ is concerned. He is the efficient cause of it. He raises the dead in a sense and quickens whom he will. And his resurrection is the virtual cause of it. And also the exemplar between which there is great likeness. Both bear the same name. Both are a declaration of sonship. And both are the first step to glory in Christ in his people. And both are instances of exceeding greatness of God's power. Or it may refer to a corporal resurrection, said to be already, because it is in fact faith and hope, and because of the certainty of it, and together with Christ, because of the conformity of it to his resurrection, influence of which it is owing, chiefly because that was when Christ rose from the dead, all his people rose in him, with him, as the head and representative, he began to be the first fruits of all them that slept, so called in allusion of the first fruits of the harvest under the law. This, remember, again, this is the promise of Israel from the law. That's you know great that John Gill sees that, and he's drawing that out, which represented and sanctified the whole. He made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Christ has entered into the heavens as our forerunner to take possession of it for his people, that reality, the heavenly reality, in their name and prepare mansions of glory for them, that the abode of God, that he says that he, there's many rooms, there's so much room in the Father that I'm going to prepare a place for you. And in this place they sit, imports honor, pleasure, Rest from labor and weariness, safety and security, and adds that there's a happiness to it. Together with all the saints and with Christ, these are made to sit already, as we read in Ephesians 2, 6, which is so said because of the certainty of it, for the same glory that Christ has, they shall have because of their right to such a blessing, and chiefly because Christ, their head, is set down, who sustains their persons, bears their name on his heart, and represents them. I'll tell you. John Piper has this concept about hedonism, Christian hedonism. Now, if you study hedonism, hedonism is the pursuit of pleasure. Now, hedonism in and of itself obviously comes off within Christian circles as a bad thing, the pursuit of pleasure. And you know, we see this in Scripture as uh, you know the, the, the appetite of your belly and so forth seem to be a uh, man in, in pleasure, man stuck in pleasure, in no regard to the things of God. However, what happens when we have regard for the things of God and we understand hedonism? We understand that it's God's ultimate purpose to bring us into glory, to uh, allow us to express his reality, his glory to the world. Surely he can't have us dwelling in misery. I don't believe God dwells in misery, and we're called to be his light to the world. So the ultimate goal of Christianity, the ultimate goal of Jesus Christ, as John 10.10 10 brings forth, is to give us life to the full, to give us true pleasure. Not what the world thinks is satisfying, not what the carnal mind that the mind in all its depravity will, will create. No, no. What has Christ brought us to? What is the reality that we are called to be and live in? So I, am, I always say I'm an ultimate hedonist. I, I believe in the ultimate pursuit of pleasure. I live my life in that same manner. That is why I glory and I chase after Jesus. It's because that is the ultimate pleasure, to find life in him. You know, we at Blue Point Bible Church, our motto is, you know, 
get a life, visit Blue Point Bible Church. That's, and that, that's not, you know, while it sounds funny and, you know, everybody jokes about it, that's a serious statement. We believe that life is founded in through Jesus Christ. And obviously you, need, you find that in the church because the church is called to make known that, that uh, wisdom, that truth. And I, I, can't, I can't see it any other way. Christianity is the, the highest ultimate pursuit of all pleasure in this world. So I see that in Jesus. And I, I wonder, do we really believe that? Do you believe that this morning? Because that's my prayer, that you will see how important it is to chase after Jesus in our daily walk, to understand his grace the moment we wake up in the morning, to understand the truth and the power behind preterism, to understand the truth and power behind properly understanding what the image of God might be in Scripture, what it means to be seated in heavenly places, what it means to have God fully dwelling in and through his people. Don't settle for simply arguing about it on Facebook. Don't. Sounds like I'm begging you. I am. All right, so we see in Scripture that joy and gladness is a major factor. For example, I'm going to ask you to turn me to Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, verses 22 through 25, this is what we read. Men of Israel, listen to these words. I'm sorry, 22 through 28. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus, the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know, this man delivered over to the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross the hands of the God, um, by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. For David says to him, I saw the Lord always in my presence, for he is at my right hand, so that I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart will is glad and my tongue exalted. Moreover, my flesh also will live in hope, because you will not abandon my soul to Hades nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You have made known to me the ways of life. You, you will make me full of gladness with, with your presence. I can't help but read that and say, I don't know, that sounds like we're called to live a life of joy and gladness. Or, you know, as in Second Peter chapter 1 or First Peter chapter 1, talks about the inexpressible joy that the, the saints had in Christ through the Holy Spirit. I spoke a little bit about that. Uh, one of the a great book I read was Joy Unspeakable by Mar Martin Lloyd-Jones and uh, about the power of the Spirit of God. And while I don't agree with him on everything, I think he draws out the truth of what the Spirit of God is called to do in the people of God. And we're, we're called to have joy and gladness. Matter of fact, if I can, um, I want to share with you, I do common prayer every morning. And actually, I'm going to ask you to join me on that in a moment here because I believe, again, that's a part of chasing after God in our daily lives. So yesterday, as I was doing common prayer, I... Uh, you know, I read out of the modern common prayer, a liturgy for ordinary radicals, and I had to read – well, part of my Advent reading yesterday was uh, Isaiah chapter 35, and I'm going to ask if you want to kind of go to Isaiah 35 with me here. And remember now, there's a prophecy pointing to reality of God and his people, and you're going to see what this says that when God does these redemptive acts, when God does these truths, what, what that's supposed to look like for the people of God and what we should be saying after the fact. And uh, listen to this. I'm going to read you verses 1 through 10. The wilderness and the desert will be glad already. And the Arab, Araba will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will blossom profusely and rejoice with rejoicing and shout of joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The majesty of Carmel and Sharon, they will see the glory of the Lord and the majesty of our God. Encourage the exalted and strengthen the feeble. Say to those with anxious hearts, take courage, fear not. Behold, your God will come with 
vengeance and recompense of God will come. He will save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened. The ears of the deaf will be unstopped. The lame will leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute will shout for joy. For waters will break forth in the wilderness, streams in the Arabah. The scorched land will become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water, and the haunt of in the haunts of jackals, its resting place, grace becomes reeds and rushes. A highway will be there, a roadway. It will be called the highway of holiness. The unclean will not travel on it, but it will be for him who walks that way. And the fools will not wander on it. No lion will be there, nor will there be any vicious beast to go up there. These will not be found there. But the redeemed will walk there. And the ransom of the, of the Lord will return with, and will come with joyful shouting to Zion. With everlasting joy upon their heads, they will find gladness and joy. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. So we could argue all day about the new heavens and new earth. That's it. We could argue that it's all about when we're in heaven, and I guess in heaven we're going to manifest the glory of God in his presence. When it's this dying world that needs healing. It kills me, and you know, it blows my mind that when we read through chapters, Revelation chapters 21 and 22, and I've done this with so many futurists, is I read it and I say, but it's only after all the redemptive events. After the coming of the Lord, after the reality of the new heavens and new earth, after the, the, the believers brought into that reality, that if they have access to the tree of life, obviously that which gives eternal life, and we're bringing that healing to the nations. So God, after he already you know, does all this stuff and changes the world and everything's perfect, now he's giving us the healing? No, my friends. He's giving us healing now. It's all been done, and now we have the healing. That was the purpose that after all the events – and again, this is a very Hebraic concept that just seems not to be drawn out enough. That the way that a Hebrew would think is that when events would happen, these would be things they would speak about for generation to generation. You think of Passover. Think of all the feasts. They would speak about it generation to generation. Think about you know, the, the Passover from Egypt, and then think about the festival that they would celebrate year after year. And you know, again, they're, they're looking back, and they weren't saying, oh, that's great that God did that for us. It's, that's great that God did that for us, and all that it propels us into today. You see, they would connect the, t the, the reality today to the events of then. And that's why if you look on uh, YouTube and on Facebook, when I first became a preterist, my immediate reaction was to cause people to consider yesterday. To look back, because that's the Hebraic way of thinking. That's what we see all throughout the Old Testament. And I believe that as the redemptive events of the New Testament were fulfilled, including the coming of the Lord, the resurrection of the dead ones, the judgment of Israel, and so forth, that, that was, it was called to bring us into a bigger reality. It was called to bring us into that which would bring joy and gladness, that which would be that highway of holiness. But I fret that we don't live in that reality, do we? Yesterday in my uh, common prayer, that's what I – well, now what I do is I – in common prayer, I obviously praise and pray, um, lift up my praises and prayers and follow the order of the common prayer. But then I also find verses, and since we've been going through the Advent calendar, I've been uh, doing Advent readings. And as I read through Isaiah 35 yesterday, I, I read, I just wrote, glory to God, the ransom of the Lord. Joy and gladness, sorrow and mourning will flee. And, you know, we read in Psalm 85 that this is for the elect. This is for the redeemed. The redeemed will walk this way. This is the reality we are called to live in. And I cannot help but challenge myself. Am I living that reality? I cannot help but challenge you. And I'll tell you what. This is why next um, March, March 2015 here at Blue Point Bible Church, we're hosting a conference. And it's our second annual Power of Preterism conference. Last year we had Don Preston, Joe Daniels, uh, Steve Schilling. Um, Norman Neal visited. We had uh, – man, we had we had so many speakers. I debated Pastor Bruce Bennett. 
We had Cliff visit from upstate. I invited Derek Lambert. Uh, he unfortunately wasn't able to make it. Jerry Bowers, but he wasn't able to make it either. However, you know, we, we had a good lineup. And this year, I'm trying to set up the same thing. And my, my goal this year is to bring it a little bit further. You know, I never want to be satisfied with where we're at. I, I want you, as a child of God, to never be satisfied with where we're at. I want us to constantly be pushing and understanding where the reality that we're called to live in today, in light of past events, what, what that's calling us to today. With this conference, my goal is to show why preterism is growing, why I believe a lot of the illumination on these verses, the clarity in regards to Scripture, why that's growing, why that's really you know, captivating minds, renewing minds and bringing them to God, demolishing the strongholds and bringing all thoughts captive to truth, as we see in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. So I, uh, you know, I, I want to bring that out. But then the second step is not only why it's growing, and we could boast about that indeed. But the next thing we want to develop is what must we be doing about it? And that's really what my goal is. I want to know what we should be doing about it. I want to know what we should be doing about the fact that we are getting so much clarity and light on things that were either confused and dark. So glory to God that we are uh, coming to that reality. And I believe that when we do that, it will give us that reality of joy and gladness that we are called to live in. Amen? So, I endeavor to close out today's show, and I thank you for tuning in, and I know it wasn't anything uh, extravagant that we didn't have a uh, long discourse on any topic. Um, however, maybe the topic that you could really think about today and meditate on is uh, what Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, in regards to being raised up in heavenly places, and also you know John chapter 14 in light of Revelation chapter 21 and 22. What all of this is really pushing us to? What is the fact that Jesus said that we would be one in the Father and that you know we would all be one in John 17, his prayer for the, the believers? And uh, in John 14, we read about Christ uh, preparing a place for the church, for the believers. What does all of that mean? What was that reality it was calling us to live in? That what would happen when we, lived, when we got to live in that, that abode that was created for us, which I believe is the new covenant? What happens when the new covenant comes down from God to man? What is the response that we are called to have? We could debate these things all day. We cannot debate the application. Surely if we're not living out the reality, we're not understanding the truth. So today, here we are, December 9th. Today we meditate upon the truth in the common prayer book of Martin de Pours, who was alive from 1579 to 1639. Martin de Pours was a Dominican brother who is often celebrated by mixed-race people and who's committing to ending racism and segregation. He was born in Lima, Peru, Lima, Peru, the son of a... ...familiar with poverty and prejudice, he became a passionate advocate for those on the margins, establishing an orphanage and hospital for children, and becoming well-known for his compassion. Martin is often depicted with a broom because he considered all work to be sacred and was committed to service and sacrifice. O Lord, let my soul rise up to meet you as the day rises to meet the sun. Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised in the city of our God is his holy hill. Psalm chapter 48, verses 2 through 7 read, Beautiful and lofty, the joy of all the earth is the hill of Zion, the very center of the world and the city of the great king. God is in her citadels. 
he is known to be her sure refuge. Behold, the kings of the earth assembled and marched forward together. Then were astounded. They retreated and fled in terror. Trembling seized them where they were. They writhed like a woman in childbirth, like ships of the sea when east wind shatters them. As we have heard, so we have seen. In the city of the Lord of hosts is the city of our God. God has established her forever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. In the city of our God is his holy hill. Cyprian of Carthage, a 3rd century North African bishop, said, The Lord Christ did not want us to pray by ourselves in private or for ourselves alone. We did not say, My Father who art in heaven, give me this day my daily bread. It is not for oneself alone that each person asks to be forgiven, not to be led into temptation or to be delivered from evil. Rather, we pray in public as a community, and not for one individual, but for all. And what we do in our common prayers as we uh, go through this every morning, um, usually I'll have a group of friends with me or I'll bring the church through it, is share our praises and prayers. So I ask you, if you are interested, if you want to be emailed, uh, put on our email list or you have prayer requests, is to uh, email us, email me at ChristianityGoneWild at Yahoo.com and I'll be uh, sending out a email a church email later on today. I'll include you in that. Please uh, include your email. And um, I, I lift I, I lift up praises and prayers and updates every week for our congregation. I'd love to get you involved to you know really be praying with you. So uh, how we do it is we just issue praises and prayers. And I'll say a couple of mine. Um, I write my down again. I admonish everybody to be uh, keeping a prayer journal. Some of the things I'm lifting up a praise for is uh, praise God for the the wisdom of um, in the medical world. Um, somebody very close to me, uh, Raven Alberg, is uh, in the hospital uh, right now, and um, I've been spending time with her there and uh, seeking to bring comfort to her. And um, you know, we're called to comfort those that you know are in suffering, that are suffering. You know that that's powerful. Um, so you know, I just been spending time there, and I'm just thankful for the the wisdom and uh, what's there and how we've developed that. You know. I think back in history and how people have died of so many things, and now we we can we have all the X-ray stuff and CAT scans and everything else. And I, I just praise God for that. I want to lift that up. I know that's all part of God's providence and God's plan, and that's amazing. And uh, also lift up praise for salvation, for full atonement, and the, um, the fact that we could be called the people of God. We've been brought into His presence. That God has decided to covenant with man and to put us in His image. And uh, as far as prayers, I just I I lift up. Um, Raven, I lift up um, the prayers and petitions and praises of Blue Point Bible Church, and uh, and I thank God for all that we have in Him and uh, just the reality that we're called to live in. I, I pray that we continue to walk worthy of that, and uh, I pray for all the events happening in our in our nation here in America with uh, Ferguson and the, all this uh, police brutality talk. I think um, I, I want to make a praise for Jefferson Bethke. If you find some time, visit jeffersonbethke.com. And a recent video he did about Ferguson and a lot of the events happening, I think he, he just did the amazing uh, – he brought out the truth of how a Christian should respond to these events. And I want to admonish uh, people to, to, to be there for those that need comfort. Again, that's, that's pretty much where uh, it all boils down to. That's the reality we're called to do is we're called to go into the darkness to the people that do not have joy and gladness and are living in confusion and despair and death and, and bring life and bring you know truth and bring things that will give them joy and happiness and comfort them. So uh, you know, again, I, I just pray that we continue to walk worthy of that. 
and that we, we find times and opportunities to uh, what we call the unexpected adventure, to um, live in that reality with people. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's what I, I have. So if you will, just join me for a couple of moments here. We're going to lift those up. Uh, Heavenly Father, we lift up our petitions and praises to you, Lord God, knowing that you are a mighty God so far above our ways that you desire our worship, Lord, so that we offer it to you, and we are, offer it to you in spirit and in truth. And we thank you, Lord, for uh, all the blessings you have bestowed upon us as the people of God, the children of God, Lord, that the, you have shown your light into this world and that you allow your light to be manifest through us. Lord, we give you all the glory in and through your Son, Jesus Christ. And then what we do is we end with uh, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Sorry, I lost my uh, train of thought there for a moment. Lord, you have woven the threads of creation too finely together for any of us to exist as an island unto ourselves. Teach us to delight in your web of life and to know ourselves in community. Amen. May the peace of the Lord Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness, protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders that he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. And what I will say is may he bring you home rejoicing to listen to this show again next Tuesday at 8 a.m. Eastern. Um, I thank you again this morning for uh, being gracious with your time and uh, choosing to spend time listening to some of the wisdom from Scripture and some of the things I believe God is sharing with me as uh, I grow in the knowledge of Him. And I admonish you to do the same. In Second Peter chapter 1, we are given a very clear plan of the effectual use of the knowledge of God. I, I advise you to read that this morning. Spend time absorbing that truth and picking out the things that we must be growing in in order to be effective in our knowledge of God. Again, I bless you, I thank you, I appreciate you, and I lift up all praises to God for all that we have allowed, been allowed to discuss and talk about here on Beacon, a Bible Beacon broadcast. Have a blessed week. I look forward to talking to you next Tuesday at 8 a.m. God bless you. Yeah. As a deer past flowing streams, yeah. so my soul for you, God. Yeah. My soul thirsts for God, a living God. I used to Jack Daniels, chase Bloody Mary. I never touched the virgins, nah, they too scary. An enemy of God since the day of my birth. Now I'm a walking right billboard, obeying my thirst. My lips used to sip from sick mixed elixir. Now I big gulp from big spit to scripture. Living water all in my picture, get the picture. Blow